And we are back with another episode of Talking as a Free Action. I'm your host, Owen, joined again today with our illustrious co-host, Marvin. Welcome back to the show. Gang, gang. And uh, we are joined uh, for a very, very special uh, episode today. We're actually joined with not one, but our entire uh, casual Saturday playgroup. So uh, uh, if you'd like to start uh, introducing yourselves, um, Andrew, you can go ahead and start and then we'll uh, go to Nick and uh, Dustin. Hi, yeah, my name's uh, Andrew Martinez. I was uh, glad enough to play the character of uh, Oliver Albrick, who was uh, an an elf bard, uh, a British elf bard at that, and he was a rock star. Uh, Yeah, pretty pretty interesting character and uh, kind of on brand for me as a person. But uh, yeah, that's me. Very nice, very nice. And uh, Nick? This is Nicholas. Uh, played Arnon Riverti in the campaign. A man of many hats. Definitely was my uh, most fun I've had playing D&D since it was the only time I've ever played D&D, at least the first time I played D&D. And uh, it was great to have that four-year campaign from start to finish. Very nice. Dustin? Uh, hey, guys. Um, Dustin Steiner. Re- returning to Talking as a Free Action. It's my second time on the show. In our four-year campaign, um, Intrepid Adventures, as we called it, I played Debian Parker and uh, later Dremis the Quickhand, a halfling, uh, arcane trickster, rogue. Very nice. And uh, Marvin, would you like to round out the party? Uh, I'm Marvin. I was the last addition to the party, uh, and I played Gris Zirkin, the Is It Wizard from Ravnica. All right. <laughs> so um, my hope today is that uh, we'll get a chance to kind of talk about the campaign as a whole. Everyone's kind of experience with, um, you know, now that we finished, um, which is a weird thing. I still, has it set in for you guys? Yes. Yeah, I would say so. Not really, but. Yeah, I don't think I, it entirely has either. I, th- I think mostly it hasn't set in for me because A, we've taken a couple of few week breaks in, you know, while we were playing. And, um, you know, just in general, I'm still talking to you every week about D&D. So it hasn't quite set in for me that we're not playing in this particular campaign anymore, but uh, it's getting there. Yeah, it's it's weird for me. <laughs> it's, it's For me, at least, I feel like there's a giant hole in my week that I, I've recently started to fill with other campaigns. But to go from spending like you know, probably hours daily thinking about the story of this campaign to, like, suddenly just not having that. Like, you know, it felt very much like, you know, binging a TV show and then finishing. Owen, when when you started this campaign, because it, it seemed like um, it was a pretty casual thing, like, you invited my brother and I, who were, like, newer friends that you'd met in Vegas. Mm-hmm. Pretty much, that was the entire campaign, actually. It was just a bunch of, like, newer people that you'd met in Vegas. So I, I don't think you, like... You knew Nick too well. Uh, I don't think you knew Alex at all. I think Alex was just by way of Nick. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, but yeah. Did I mean so? Given that, did you expect it to last anywhere near as long as it did? I mean, no, <laughs> no, um, but not because I didn't. Not because I thought that I didn't have it in me, but I'm notoriously poor at estimating how long things are going to take when it comes to covering D and D stories. So like I was optimistic that I'd be able to finish this within like a year <laughs> at the time that he started. Okay. What are you, George R. R. Martin with that very bad estimation? 
I mean, yeah. at least he's getting paid to be bad at it. Do you know why I think you're bad, so bad at it, Owen? It's uh, because your your early days of playing D and D and the like were done at GXE, where I correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you played more than once a week. Well, so yeah, you're you're partially wrong there on, on a couple fronts. One, you know, Marvin and I started playing D and D at my house, like when I was initially uh, DMing. So, um, well, I started at Cheese's house. That, that is technically true. <laughs> But yeah, so that's where like I kind of got my start. So, um, so yeah, we we kind of started playing at home. Um, when we were playing at GXE, it was for the Sagas campaign, um, and it, that was still only once a week, actually. But they were a lot more consistent. Well, well go ahead. Well, we might have been playing more than once a week, but we weren't playing any campaign more than once a week. Mm-hmm. So if we if we played more than once a week, it was different campaigns. Yeah. Uh, the other thing too is that like those camp, like those sessions, like just as a function of being younger and having nothing else to do, were significantly longer. Um, That's true. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, even even our sessions were a lot longer at first than they ended up being. Just yeah, we de- definitely had uh, when we were playing in person. I think we we hit about six hours a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, I would say. We, yeah. we tried. We tried for five or six hours, um, but because of remote, like it's just, it's so much harder to maintain concentration for that long. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So I mean, so how was that jump to, from uh, from like live games to remote? Just like you guys lived through it. So I mean, how was it for you? Uh, I have so many dice that I never use now. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yeah, I mean it. It 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 kind of sucks that like we got like actual figures and like minis and everything, and then like short. I mean, I I wouldn't say that shortly, but shortly enough, we went to online only. Um, I I much prefer playing in person. Like online has its perks too. Like it's nice. Like all the things that you can kind of do in online that like you know in terms of presentation. And all that sort of stuff, like the bells and whistles that are a little bit easier to do on a computer than they are at the table. The feeling of camaraderie and, you know, of gathering at a person's house and ordering food and, like, all that stuff. Like, I miss that. I miss that about uh, our, our in-person games, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I miss that, too. And it was, it was interesting because it started off as, like, we have no choice but to play online because the, the pandemic had started and then... It, it like ended up that Owen actually moved back to Florida, so we we uh, that that's just how it was going to be. So it seemed like it was going to be a temporary thing at first, and just kind of never looked back. Much like the pandemic, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it definitely feels that way. I mean, and part of that too is like I think once once I made the decision to introduce Marvin to the group, I was pretty much set that like this was just going to have to remain an online thing. Um, from that point forward. I mean, certainly we could have written Marvin's character out at any point. Um, Lord knows there are plenty of getting off points for him, but... Or he could have been an NPC. Yeah, which, like, I can do. I, you know, I, I, I despite me doing it, I, I really don't like to play your characters all that much. Um, just because, like, I, I, I don't like that feeling of, like, stealing autonomy, if that makes sense. Yeah. Plus, nobody could play Marvin like Marvin. This is true. I'm problematic. Um, no i mean i I definitely think that the introduction of marvin to the campaign sort of gave it like 
direction, especially like once we we left Dega, we sort of were like, okay, like how does this work? Like where do we go? Who are we supposed to be talking to, going after? That kind of thing. And um, Marvin's character sort of gave us that like direction. I think that the party needed right then. He gave us a home plan for the most part. Yeah, I don't know where the hell else we would have gone if if it wasn't for Marvin's character, actually. <laughs> yeah. What if? The season of the show where we have the what if episodes where everybody's just completely weird, like, that'll be uh, the episode we find that out about. <laughs> um, one thing I will say is that, um, like, that certainly was a section of the story that I was somewhat struggling with, so when Marvin agreed to, to join the campaign, I was a I was very pleased with that turn of events because it made my life a lot easier. Um, Cause now I had like a, um, like a vehicle to deliver exposition through his character. And yeah. because he's familiar with the plane that you guys are currently on, he also gives you a convenient in with a lot of places that you may not have known about, known to ask about, or even found out about at all, you know? Yeah. It, it, he was like the um, genre savvy character you know what i mean like <laughs> he was the character that's like oh yeah i know what's going on here you guys need to go here here and here whereas we're like we've never plane shifted before what's this it's a new world like where's charles oh let's he, he ask our, some people he was our aladdin <laughs> he, he showed <laughs> us a world a whole new world it's a, a uh, new fantastic point of view okay we should start now before disney sues us yeah, let, let, let's let's not talk about going on a carpet ride, okay? I'm I'm good. I'm good. Fun fact, this is transformative enough that they can't sue us. That's right. We're talking about it, not singing it. Even if we were, that's transformative enough too. That's fun true. fact. Fun facts. Fun facts with Marvin. Oh. Uh, so, I mean, just kind of uh, on a top level, you know, uh, as as you said, kind of before we started, uh, Dustin, yeah, fifteen thousand foot view. Um, how do you guys feel about the story of the campaign? And you know, I'm especially interested in uh, Andrew and Nick being your first campaign. Um, are you concerned that you will never have a similar experience ever again? <laughs> have I ruined D and D for you? There is my like, concern. Yes. Yeah, like yes and no. Like I, I don't know. Like I don't know that I, I would want to play something that doesn't have as much growth or you know anything uh, like everything that we we kind of experienced like yeah i don't know that i'd want to play a one shot where or you know for like four or five campaigns where i'm just like merely a level six and that's like that's all i am like i don't know i I guess i just got so accustomed to to what it was um and like the character development unfolding and randomly getting these new like spells or whatever that I didn't have before. Like it just, yeah, I don't know that I'd, I'd want to do like a short campaign if I were to do another campaign. Yeah. I'm going to be chasing that dungeon and dragon now. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. For, for me, uh, this is not my first campaign. Um, I've played in uh, a couple, but this is definitely my longest running campaign and probably the best run that I've ever played in. You know, and, and no slights against my other DMs, Tracy and Kevin, if they happen to listen to this. But uh, it's, uh, you know, this one was just, it had the most, I mean, obviously the most number of sessions. It had the the most plot threads that were that were actually followed up on. It had the most outrageous set pieces that I've been involved in. 
you know, and I've I've seen some pretty outrageous ones. The only thing that I think that it, it might have been missing is like a live recorded, you know, format, which I got from playing in Tracy's and Kevin's game. To where I had like clips and stuff that I can go back and watch. But that's okay. I mean, I've got the memories, you know. So it was definitely worth playing in for me. Uh, in terms of like the story and everything, I was pretty satisfied with where it ended up going. You know, I joined the campaign sort of mid midstream, as it were, early, but still midstream, around level five. And uh, my character very quickly, I always make the joke that he sort of hijacked the campaign because he sort of did. He came in and he's just like, no, we have to go like west. It's like, what What do you mean? We're, no, we're, we're going west now. All the way west. I don't want, I don't care. Let's go. So that's where we, what we did. Yeah, that, of that is kind of how it happened. <laughs> so, yeah, that um, whole Hucky Hacks plan, just forget about that. Forget about that. Yeah, we're, we're, we're getting on, we're getting on the wagon and we're going west. We got to chase Charles. Let's go. So, yeah. Uh, that's Was basically... That... Was that in being a newcomer? Was that like instilled to you by Owen? Did was did Owen kind of mention to you like we really got to get this Charles guy involved and they're like straying from the path a little bit? So can you like direct them? Like, no. like we're gonna use like oh, okay. That's no, that was all me. That was all me because okay. we because we stole that that thing from um what's the keep called? Called Calder's keep. Calder's keep, and I'm like oh well we shouldn't have given that to him. So now it's like he's going to do some crazy shit with this. I thought it was like a bomb or something. And I'm like, we got to go after him. And, well, it just sort of ended up that way. You know, we went all the way west, and then we sailed to another continent and had a whole bunch of adventures there. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely a bit of a journey. And, like, to be clear, like, I don't... I didn't, like, enlist Dustin to do that. I kind of just... I'm more of a DM where I like to set up the pieces and kind of see how you guys choose to interact or go after things. So that way, like, if you guys choose to, like, not pick up on a particular plot thread, it's not, like, the end of the world. I can always repurpose it for later or something, you know? How many plot threads did you abandon that we just forgot about? Boy, I can't count those. <laughs> I, I honestly couldn't tell you. Um, there's, like, maybe, like, a couple major ones that, like, I really wish you guys had a chance to follow up on and I just didn't find the time to, or I couldn't write it in, right? You know, offhand, um, there was the demon conspiracy in the original town that you guys started in that you just kind of dropped. <laughs> there was... Um... No, no, no. We got driven, kicked, and screaming away from it. I looked in the back window, I saw it, I waved goodbye to it. A single tear fell from my eye and the plot thread's eye. It was, it was too much. Yeah, so, like, that was probably the, like the largest one that I kind of had to just like drop. Um, there was a couple others that like obviously were left hanging that were never like readdressed later. Um, obviously, you know, whatever happened with Dresnar, the, the ancient black dragon you guys had stolen from didn't really get addressed. Uh, Cash's escape from jail didn't really come up again or chance. I'm sorry, not cash. Uh, Chance's escape from jail, of course, didn't really come up again. Someone's <laughs> been watching. Someone's been watching Vox Machina. I just want to say that with with the Dresner with the ancient black dragon, I definitely tried to get us to go back there because it was chaotic and just chaotic enough for somebody like me, and nobody wanted to do that. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, we can we can discuss epilogue after the after the episode for sure. Because um, I had some ideas that I think you'll be really happy about, um, but we'll we'll save those for another time. Maybe we'll take care of it in like a one shot or something. You know, if right. we return to these characters. Nice. <laughs> Because, like, that's the thing, is, like, when you have all these, like, dangling plot threads for a bunch of level 18 characters, it's like, well, you know, guess what? Now we have, like, things that we can come back to, knock out, like, a quick, like, three or four session adventure. And, like, it's not really the end of the world that we, you know, that was only three or four sessions, because we have all this baggage from the previous campaign, you know? Yeah. Not everything has to be ended. You know, keep it as a bookmark, not a bookend. Precisely. And I, whenever I try to write campaign endings, I try to keep it that way where I, I kind of leave that door open that we can return to it. Yeah, you know, and sometimes it works and a lot of times it doesn't, but you know, that's kind of the nature of DMing, right? Like at the end of the day, like, you know, the, the story eventually has to come to a close somewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, we I were just like, don't write the ending like lost. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, it, would it be okay for me to assume that you guys are like broadly satisfied with the way that the campaign ended up going? Was there anything uh, that you guys wish that we had gotten back to? I mean, I would have liked to have a little bit more time on Dega before we ended up, like... Basically what happened was, it was like the end of a Final Fantasy game. We passed the point of no return on Dega without even realizing it. I had a lot of stuff on Dega that I wanted to get done, and we just didn't get the chance to, just because of the uh, plot. Yeah, you, you're saying that my character is literally... Uh, well, like, it, like, in Dega, in his home country, like, because the whole madness ensued while I was in my country and trying to get my character's life back in order. So it was, uh, it was funny because I, it's funny you say that because there's plenty in Dega that I wanted to do as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, I guess the only thing I, I wasn't super satisfied with was that Debian died when he did, you know, or became a planeswalker or whatever. While I ended up having fun playing Dremis, I don't feel like I ever really got into his character. I just was playing a mechanic, basically, uh, in terms of the combat. I tried to roleplay a little bit, but it was uh, it was harder for me. Like once, because like for Solar, I treated Dremis like he was temporary, and um, that didn't end up being the case. So there was some character development stuff I wish I had done differently. Uh, I wish I had like actually like, really played Dremis. Like, committed to him earlier? Yeah, committed to him. Not just committed to him earlier, but also, like, took his character development a little bit more seriously. Because, like, I did... I I treated him, like, a bit character for a long time. Um, I don't think I really, like, committed to role-playing Dremis until we got to Ravnica and started doing some of the Demir stuff. I'm like, oh, okay. I'm going to actually, like, commit to playing Dremis. That was and, just the season that Dremus became a, a, a star instead of a guest star. He got a exactly. Time. Yeah, I mean, I and I, I agree with that. Um, like, it's just there are some things with Debbie and I, I didn't really get to resolve or, or anything. I mean, like, you could say that his story ended when when he died or his character arc finished uh, when he was rescued. But I feel like there was some stuff there that like didn't really get explored that I would have liked to. But uh, aside from that, I'm pretty pretty happy with with how things went, mm-hmm. um, especially the ending. Yeah. I thought the ending was really good. Yeah, I'm I'm so I I'm definitely uh, very very pleased with how how it went for sure. And of course, I mean I've only played the one campaign, but I'm sure you can imagine that everything's going to go out like perfectly according to plan. But yeah, I think I, I'm I'm very very pleased with with how this turned out. Agreed. I, I think the ending was, uh, in a way, 
Arden's finest moment, just the way it all culminated into that final fight and the epilogue and everything that happened there. Just I think it rolled together perfectly. Is like that's how you end that story. I'd agree with that. Um, and speaking as someone who wasn't Arnon's biggest fan throughout this whole campaign, uh, I really think <laughs> that he sort of um, pulled it together at the end. He's like playing playing through a game, like a Final Fantasy game. Man, I hate this character. He's always messing things up, and like he's basically Star Lord in in a in the uh, Infinity War, the entire movie, <laughs> just messing everything up, just bad plans, like just getting emotional and going off all half bent. Half cocked doing stuff. And um, I think at the very end, he did manage to uh, win me over uh, as a character and um, sort of uh, kind of put a nice capstone on the whole thing, for sure. Yeah, I, I know that was, um, there was definitely some tension early on, I would say, because um, I, I don't think, you know, you and Nick got along all that well, Dustin, <laughs> if I'm being truthful. And, and I think that you both had a lot of um, a lot of growth in kind of how you conducted yourselves at the table. Um, you know, did you want to kind of talk a little bit about about kind of your experience in in learning to love Nick's character? <laughs> uh, sure. Learning to love me too. Right? Sure. Yeah, we'll we'll go with that. I I, I will we'll we'll say that for sure. No, no, no. Like just in all seriousness, though. Like uh, you know, I wasn't the most mature. Um, player at the table in terms of uh, my interpersonal skills, just generally speaking. And uh, no, I wasn't a huge fan of Nick when I first met him or his character, but I think that um, it's something that I had to work through. I really enjoyed playing the game. I didn't want to stop playing. So like, you know, I kind of had to go back to my uh, childhood lessons of play nice and um, sort of just, you know, get along at the table and try not to be super disruptive. And I will also say playing with your girlfriend at the table, probably not a good idea if you're not the non-jealous type. That's all. I'm just going to throw that out there. You know, not a good idea. <laughs> okay, well, we, we have to tell Katie it can't work now. No, it's, it's fine. You're not, you're, I'm sure you're a lot more mature than I was. <laughs> Are you the jealous type, Nick? Uh, yes. Yes. Oh, well, yeah. this might be problematic then. Uh, it's going to be <laughs> I awkward when I, I don't have to deal with it. I'm saying it's going to be awkward when I have to request that everybody call me Mr. Studio Girl. So, <laughs> I love it. Uh, but now, circling back to the, what, uh, well, I was going to say, the real joke here is that Gigi is going to be one, the one to steal her heart. So, that's probably true. That, that could absolutely happen. Uh, Gigi's problematic. <laughs> Uh, Not to self kill Gigi, uh, but no. Circling back to what um, Dustin was saying, yeah, definitely part of the learning experience of playing D anD D for me in the early sessions was just for me. I think I, I'm sure you'll all agree with this. Uh, role playing the character in a way that's not going to be like a pain in the ass for the group. Like true to form of what your character would do doesn't mean you should always do that thing because you know sometimes you fuck up and you will. Oh, you were saying? Oh, I was just gonna say I think that's actually part of the like the skill of like learning the game a little bit is not like, it's not like, Oh, learning how to role play your character in a way that's not going to be disruptive to the rest of the party. It's learning not to write characters who will be disruptive to the, to the party. If you're role playing them at all. Right. Like, I think that there's a bit of a difference there between like, Oh, I am a loner character. So I'm going to like role play as a loner 
And it's like, you can do that, but at the end of the day, you need to remember that we're playing like a collective, like a collaborative game here. So it's important to like write your character in such a way that they will eventually start to warm up to people and like do it in, at a pace where like people aren't going to get turned off at the table. So like, I think that that's kind of part of the growing pain there is I think your initial draft of your character concept had some of those early pitfalls. And I think for me as a DM, it was kind of interesting watching you kind of navigate that. And I think at the time I wasn't really cognizant that this was going to be as big of an issue as it turned out to be, you know, with those inter-party dynamics that we kind of had to manage together. It, you, I think what the lesson I learned from that is you will be assimilated or you'll be asleep. <laughs> Just, right. Resistance yeah. is futile. Yes. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah. One yeah. I mean, if you're playing nice, like that's ultimately what we want to do, right? We want to write characters who are going to, even if they have their their um their misgivings, it's important that you write your characters in such a way that they're eventually going to get along. And like for me, I think as a DM, I think what I learned is that no amount of like contriving situations for this to happen is is going to force it to happen until it's organic, because Lord knows I tried with your with you and Dustin's characters. And just until you guys worked it out yourselves, there was nothing that I could do as a DM to force it to happen beyond just making it very clear that it couldn't continue. I mean, you just, you needed to give us a start talking to, basically. Um, I, I believe oh, you. Take you, one of your character's fingers off. Don't you trust me? Yeah, exactly. It was, it was, it was very much finger wagging and, you know, grow up. You guys are <laughs> old enough to figure this out. Um, so, you know, and, and like, I, I'll, I'll just say it, like, you know, it's my bad. Like, I, I should have been a lot more understanding, I think, of what was happening at the table. Not just with with uh, with Moira, but also with, you know, just in, in terms of you being a newer player. And, like, I started playing tabletop games with people that were super experienced and knew what they were doing, basically. Like, you just didn't have a lot of those moments where, like, well, I'm just gonna hit the pirate captain or hit the pirate crew member anyway because I don't care. Like there wasn't a lot of that kind of stuff. So I think I got a little frustrated early on with some of the like lack of foresight on like just how NPCs would react to certain things and just getting frustrated that like, oh, this isn't like what I wanted to happen and not what I thought was going to happen in my head and just being frustrated at the dissonance there. Um, and that's my, that's my bad. Uh, and, you know, I've said it before, but I apologize if it turned anybody off to uh, playing with us. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, these things happen, you know, is, is, but the thing is too, is like, you know, even though you were a veteran player, you know, I think that learning how to be like kind of a good steward of the game is kind of a skill that you need to develop anyway, like just as a player. Because the thing is, like, you can be a veteran player and just be, like, complete shit to play with. Like, that just happens sometimes. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's it's a different skill set to be, like, a... To kind of create and curate a welcoming table environment for new players um, and returning players alike. And so, yeah, like, that's that's part of it. Sometimes you just have to learn how to, how to let it happen. And I think part of, like, D&D, too, is learning how to kind of rejoice in those little idiosyncrasies of, like, when things don't go the way you expect them to. That's kind of like some of the best moments, in my opinion. D and D is the best game of life you could play. Yeah, uh, I mean, embrace the chaos, right? So that's sort of what I had to had to do, and a lot of that was also just learning to let go of things too, like not to hold grudges, not to you know 
it's just life lessons even <laughs> that I learned through playing D and D. And I mean, as weird as it sounds to say, like it, you know, it's a tabletop game, but it's uh, it, it's actually a good teacher for a lot of interpersonal uh, sort of um, problem solving that you don't necessarily get from your day to day life. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a lesson in like learning to let go. You know. I mean, I personally embrace the chaos all the time. You do, Andrew. Oh, you, you know, you, you are the harbinger of chaos. What are you talking about, <laughs> Mister? I'm going to burn down any wooden structure in like, <laughs> three miles. Johnny Appleseed, a fucking chaotic neutral. You just take out your little be- seeds of uh, chaos and you just sprinkle them in the background as you walk yeah. and skip gaily through the fire. Yeah. And you're like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fireballs. Yeah, they're they're not seeds. They're fireballs. Let's let's be real here. You guys have no idea how often I wanted to restrain myself from just doing something stupid. Because <laughs> <laughs> I just all the time I, w- I wanted to do something stupid. Yeah, you were always always the instigator table. You're always <laughs> just like asking, "Oh, we need to split up." Well, Arnon and Devin should go together. Right now. <laughs> cool. That's awesome. Yeah, that's the definition of that show. guy who just rubs his hands together, and, like, "Yeah, this is some good shit." That's right. He's like he's just grabbing the folding chair and he's just like, let's let's watch. Andrew's character. That's the thing is like Andrew and Nick's character are the two types that like needed to be supervised. But then also like Dustin started playing a character that needed to be supervised, and then somehow Marvin's the one who ends up being in charge of <laughs> of supervising everybody because no one can be trusted. <laughs> you wrangled you wrangled us like champs. I I, I gotta thank you for your service. I'm yeah. gonna do it. I don't know that, like, as much as I enjoyed the chaos with Oliver, I don't know that I so much needed to be supervised. I just also didn't do any kind of supervising either. I think I was just there. <laughs> yeah, he just, he just like, he just like, let's see what happens if I pull the pull on this string, and then he you know, and then he just stands back and he's just like, oh, that's Andrew, what happened. Andrew, as a farmer, doesn't believe in putting his chickens in cages. He's all about that free range. <laughs> he loves it. He loves the free range raising. I love it. So, yeah, uh, a, go ahead. No, no, I was just saying that was a, that was a good one. Go Marvin, I, I did have a question for you. Circling back to Dago, what was, what was something you missed about Dago? Because I know you were talking about the campaign for a long time with Owen, and you didn't get the chance to actually be in Dago at all. You heard a lot about it, but like, was there any plot threads or things that you used to talk about with Owen that you're like, huh, I wonder where that's going? And then you just didn't get that, uh, that climax that you were... Well, that, uh, that conclusion. Phrasing. Phrasing. Um, Are we still doing phrasing? Yes. <laughs> I didn't realize that was still a thing. Listen, when he says stuff like that, it's a problem. Anyways, um, one of the plot threads that was originally talked about, and I don't really care about Dega itself, but um, one of the plot threads was that you were all originally going to end up being planeswalkers. And uh, I kind of really wanted to see what would happen if it was just a full party of actual planeswalkers. Well, had I picked up, picked Debian back up, it would have been basically. Yeah. Aside from didn't. you, yeah. I mean, really I mean, yeah. I wasn't. I wasn't like a like tech. I wasn't a planeswalker by like the the definition. But I could walk planes. Yeah. He just, he just knew plane shift basically. Yeah. He just didn't have is... the spark. Plane shift is better than planeswalking. It is, yeah. Why? Uh, because does... planeswalking doesn't let you bring people with you. Oh, yeah. yeah, and I was able to bring like eight people with me. Mm-hmm. I will say that even as a planeswalker, I feel like I, I'm i not sure if I was limited just from my ability to like 
role play like a good way to use it or if it was just the fact that i had to always go solo when i did it but anytime i went on a solo excursion as a planeswalker i was like okay i feel like i'm missing some tools here or i'm missing something i think it was just that i was alone every time i did that so it didn't really like accomplish very much when i was doing that well so, i think yeah. that's kind of the point right it's like d like in D D, they always talk about how like you know as a player be very cognizant when you split the party and because like the planeswalking mechanics are so unpredictable as to like where you end up, it's always just an inherently very dangerous thing. And the reality in a D and D party is that you end up relying on like the tool set of the other players in that party quite a bit. So when you're isolated from everybody, it's like, oh, I don't have a message spell and I can't teleport, and like this just kind of sucks. <laughs> yeah, and all he's got the bag of holding. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well that's I mean, because dustin can't like, be trusted with it it's not well listen okay <laughs> that was one time okay it was once and you will never live it down i know yeah i thought it would distract the black dragon hey, to, it did not it, it, it might have i will say this as a dm that's one of my favorite moments in the campaign because it was so creative and so very interesting um and like it wasn't a bad idea it certainly like was better than nothing um <laughs> certainly i Say nothing would have been a better idea. Sometimes the best thing to do is just be quiet and let things happen the way they should happen. Don't, don't, uh, don't put too much ingredients into the soup. You know, just let it, let it uh, ferment. I don't want to hear any of that sentence from you what? at all. Yeah, I, I, you know what? I, I, I'm going to second that. Can, can we stop? We're good. We're good on that analogy. Well, speaking if of anyone analogies. else had said that, it would have been fine. But you're a problem. <laughs> <laughs> all right I'm just well, a problem all right well, yes. well speaking of nick being a problem and good analogies and such i do <laughs> want to actually go around and ask kind of like what everybody's favorite moment in the campaign was but i want to kind of throw a twist on it so what's the favorite what's your favorite point in the campaign that didn't involve your character like where you weren't the main one or being who do you want to start that's a tough one don't start with me i gotta think about that <laughs> okay <laughs> Dustin, would you like to? Uh, yeah, sure. I think my favorite, like, that didn't involve my character. I think my favorite thing was the the elder brain underneath Bramble Branch. I really, I really liked the elder brain, and I liked the um, I liked the the moment of Ollie killing it. Right with the with the with his guitar and like the the fireball the huge fireball uh, that was yeah. it was it was epic just I in terms did, of pretty much like, did that, uh, Eddie Munson before Eddie Munson exactly <laughs> I, th- I thought I thought that was that was really cool um, just in terms of like a combat moment it wasn't really an RP moment it was like the way he did it um, but in terms of like a role play moment if I had to pick one jeez. It's really hard because, like, there were so many because it's such a long-running campaign. I think it would probably be... Okay. Um, so I think that the moment for me that stuck out the most role-play-wise, and the moment that, like, really got me to think and, like, stop and, like, go, wow, was Andrew berating Dremis after Dremis was like, well, we have to go after Debian. And... Andrew's like, why? That asshole ruined my country and like, you know, just went on this long, like minute long rant about how much Debian had fucked up. And like, it just made me sit there and go, holy shit. 
Like that was like that was the moment that I'm like, damn, Andrew has like really gotten into his character and playing D D. Like that was the moment where I'm like, okay, this guy can fucking act. Like, let's go. <laughs> so bravo. Bra- bravo, sir. Bravo. Embrace the oh yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, Oliver I think Oliver was the most pissed about that whole situation for sure. I don't yeah, think I mean, anybody. I don't blame him. His home was ruined by Devian's actions, so I, I definitely don't, uh, don't blame Oliver at all. Even though Devian felt he was very much justified in what he did, he didn't think the consequences of, uh, you know, who was in that room when he did the accusations and like what the political climate was of. Um, stonewood at the time for sure yeah no that was crazy that, that was definitely a crazy time i don't know that i can pinpoint like one thing but there there were definitely a lot of um really great things with uh with arnon's character especially towards the end uh like w- that one uh spot where we got like lost in his memories or something like that that was that was really really interesting it was it was i think it was interesting how that that came to fruition because I th- for so much of the years of this campaign that we played, for so much of it, we didn't know anything about Arnon, and it all just kind of started to uh, started to take shape. So I th- I thought that was really cool. There were also a bun- a couple small things I thought were hilarious, like uh, like the circus that was fucking hilarious on Ravnica. That was hilarious. <laughs> um, the uh, the shrimp uh, people meet trying thinking they were going to meet their gods. <laughs> that, was, that was fantastic. I still that <laughs> moment is still so good to me. Oh, That's man. actually one of my favorite characters that Owen did. His oh gosh, we need to talk about your voices for your characters. <laughs> very good. All right, well, the worshipper that we meet on the boat was uh, one of your best voices, I think. Because just Which the way one? you your connotation, like really. Oh, you want to learn about the shrimp god? Okay. Okay. Just definitely drinking the Kool-Aid. Yeah. Yeah. That was a a fun one. All right. How about you, Nick? Uh, What was your favorite favorite moment that didn't involve Arnon? All I'm saying is I'm glad you walked away from this because it gave me a chance to really think about this. Uh, One of my favorites was just how fucking petty (laughs) Oliver was about Ben, the kid who... Uh, they first meet when they run into the orphan, the gang of uh, wily orphans, child soldiers. He was so so angry at this kid. He just wanted to fucking kill him. And I'm like, calm down, he's a kid. And all he just spent like multiple episodes, like I'm gonna kill the kid today. I'm just gonna do it, guys. I'm, I'm I hated that guy. kid so much. <laughs> but hey, hey to, ra- <laughs> to to wrap it all up though. The end of that segment was Oliver essentially getting the kid and his gang like all of them a job within the city so like it came full circle but boy did i fucking hate that kid for a minute (laughs) (laughs) well i thought you hated the kid that was in charge and then when the kid in charge died um it was the number two that you ended up getting like a job etc oh what was the kid that was in charge i can't the, the, the kid that was in charge died because he got eaten by his blood elemental basically uh, you, yeah. you hated the one that was second in command. You hated Ben. He was the one who would spit all the time. Yeah, oh, yeah, he, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you didn't yeah, like his yeah, yeah. attitude and shit, and you, you picked him up a telekinesis, and you shook him like a dog, and he was not <laughs> he was nonplussed by it, and you're like, damn it, this kid is too cool. <laughs> <laughs> also, yeah, that pissed me off, too, that he wasn't phased by it. 
TV players can be can be like upset by the most petty shit that that NPCs do. Okay, like, first the, of all, the, like Dustin, the most, no, you know what I'm talking about. No, I know. I know I'm not exactly going to have you call me out on my own show. I can call you out on your own show if you want. Listen, it's not it's not my fault. Or it is my fault, really. It is explicitly your fault. It's not my fault the personal trainer didn't notice how swole you are, okay? I'm sorry. No, it's your fault that you didn't notice that I have the highest strength in the damn party and the highest constitution. It's not my fault you kept missing the saving throws. (laughs) All sounds problematic. It was problematic. Anyway, moving on. We're not talking talking about this campaign right now. I mean, just getting back to my favorite moments with the other people... Greg's moment where he talked his way out of a dungeon that I thought we were going to die in, like, the second or third session, that... Oh, was yeah, that, that, was, so that, that was pretty awesome. I walked into that. The, yeah. the, the, funny, the f- funny thing about that, though, is that he did, he definitely talked us out of that, but there were a few where he, like, made, like, persuasion checks and passed on, like, a nine and shit, so it's just, like, they were also just really stupid in that... In that uh, <laughs> Place, well, yeah, like, that, it is circumstantial, awesome. right? Because you got to remember, too, like, he's going in fully disguised as, like, a, uh, a top-ranking officer, like, you know, and, like, people that they've probably never interacted with. Also, too, like, as a DM, like, sometimes you just want the you guys to do the cool thing, so, like, yeah, yeah. the role was a little bit on the low side, but, like, I can justify this guy being a bit of a, a bit slow on the uptake to, like, catch yeah. on right away, right? Right. That was also when, uh, when he... He killed, uh, Greg killed, uh, one of, like, the actual higher-up people with, uh, with vicious mockery. Yeah, insulting the... <laughs> oh. Fantastic. Vicious mockery is a spell. Honestly, any moment that had insane tension, like, this could be it. Like, when we escaped Bramble Branch by holding down the office room and Ollie was just getting the plank- the circle done, and by the skin of our fucking teeth, that was awesome. Uh, Any time where I had to carry the entire party with Fly, like when we went off to save Moira and she was doing that solo battle and it was just insane. Like, okay, what's going to happen next? Or uh, probably the the time where the Acrid Knight was digging towards us in the tunnel, like he was getting closer and closer. And we had to wait for Ollie to get the circle done. And it's just like, those moments were always the most tense. Like, you look back and like, yeah. how, How about that time that uh Arnon burnt down the boat around us and like we had to abandon that boat and get on the map was not drawn to scale okay <laughs> but it but it was it was you just drawn did, to scale you, you, you miscalculated your cone you're like it's not a line it's a cone <laughs> that's really just what it was you didn't realize that it was a cone that also like went vertically up and down <laughs> look the important thing is we lived okay is no, it, it led to an I, epic I think, moment. It did. I, I think the important thing is that we get to rib you for burning the boat down while we were on the water. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, somehow. We, we got a new boat. In fact, we still have that boat, don't we? Whatever happened to that boat? It's around. It, it's, it, it is rematerialized in Dega now that Dega is no longer... Tweeny had the boat, I think. Tweeny yeah. did have the boat, yeah. Although so, Tweeny does... Tweety doesn't know who you are, though, or at least didn't last time we checked. No, I think it ended with her knowing. Uh, but I think uh, if I had to really go back and say this is the best moment in the entire campaign, uh, I would probably 
Kevin, uh, I really enjoyed how Ollie won the tournament. On, uh, <laughs> Excuse me, Kylan? Ollie, Ollie, and Dremis won the tournament. But I mean, you were there. How Ollie won the tournament. You were there. <laughs> he said what he said. Yeah, he said. You're like one of those Beatles that nobody care, uh, really remembers as much. I oh, hope. that's a Ringo. All like he said, how he said Damn. how he said one of those Beatles. There, there's one Beatle. That... I thought there was two Beatles. There was the guy before Ringo. Well, uh, so there's George, I guess. But George, I mean, George is definitely George is my favorite Beatle, but he's definitely more memorable. Than, I think I, you know, actually, he's probably the least. He's probably the one that people remember the least because at this point, everybody rags on Ringo so much that he is memorable. <laughs> True. It's like he has reverse street credit. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. He's not famous. He's infamous. He, he's hit oh. the Maryland point of being in the Beatles. <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, no, De- Oliver definitely won the, uh, the Olympics <laughs> and, si- and, signed a, and signed a sweet uh, shoe deal when he, when he got back to, uh, to Kylum. He's on the face of Wheaties and Oliver. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> oh god! I agree with Marvin. Y'all are problematic. Uh, you were included in that, y'all. Just so you know, I'm just listen. I uh, I don't need to include myself in anything I say. So, but yeah, also, but you're agreeing with me. Yeah, well, get, I'm problematic. Get, but given <laughs> Oliver's character, there's no other way that that was going going to transpire other than. We won the Olympics, but Oliver really won the Olympics. There was, that, was, that, was, yeah, that was the only I was, way. And I, Oliver won, and Dremis was there too, I guess. Look, <laughs> put you guys in the magazine, and then they put the, uh, the sticker on top of your face because you were too small. You see, I seem to remember Oliver getting to the end and then diving back off the end to rescue you from drowning. That's, that's not how that happened. <laughs> Is that not exactly how it happened? No, that's not how it happened. That's not how I, I don't think it. that's how it happened. Oh, that reminds me. Another great part of that tournament was when Ollie was invisible and he just beat the shit out of that vampire. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> like, that that was fight, great. That Ollie, fight was Ollie much easier. For that, for that part, oh. Ollie was definitely easy. It is kind of, well, to be, and also to, to pad the Ollie won the tournament, that was like the only time in the entire campaign where I was like, generally like hands-on with everything because pretty much in every combat I was 150 feet away firing spells off while you guys were taking all your HP damage. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and, it's like, and, and it's like everyone everyone is everyone's like beat the hell and Ollie's just standing there like what happened to you guys? Yeah what are you spends 99.9% of a fight lounging, getting a tan with one of those like mirrors that you like fold out. And he just occasionally looks over, sips his drink, and then points his finger and shoots a fireball. <laughs> and then he goes yeah. back to tanning. No, that's basically what he's doing. He's just, he puts up the wall of fire, and he's just like, oh, this is perfect for my skin, my complexion. I love it. <laughs> oh, wait, wait. Tape it down out there. I'm, I'm trying to work on my tan, guys. <laughs> pretty sure Australian now? That's because I'm yeah. pretty sure it's more Australian. I can't do an English accent. I'm sorry. I've never been <laughs> able to do an English accent. Yeah. I hope your next character has an English accent so we can rip you for it. <laughs> Oh I hope God. so. We we have to make him have a uh, an English accent. There's just like no ifs, ands, or buts. I'll do my best. <laughs> no. What have you done, Owen? Just watch a lot of Doctor Who. It'll come to you. Now I have to listen to this for three hours a week. Well, Mike, you're going to voice since we're at D and D. 
Oh god, you're gonna get us cancelled. We can stop that. I don't no? like this anymore. Please, please don't. Just edit that out. What was your favorite <laughs> moment, no. for, uh, Marvin? Uh, my favorite moment was the part at the end in the last fight where uh, we're all dying and you're in the dream world and you have to decide whether or not to come back and help us or stay and figure out exactly what happened and we made you make that choice and you you agonized for like a good three minutes about whether or not you were gonna stay in the dream world it was that great physically hurt me i cannot I tell, tell you i loved it you cannot imagine <laughs> waiting years to finally get an answer and you have to decide do you save your friends or do you learn the truth and then you have to say god damn it i can't leave my friends to die but i really want to know <laughs> I don't want to lose this. It's like if you're... It, it was basically the equivalent of being in bed and being comfy, but you really got to piss. <laughs> I had to make a really bad decision that I didn't want to make. So I guess that was, the... that was... That's the analogy you chose to go with there? That's a really yeah. good analogy. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I mean... It's, it's graphic. It's very Omni-Man of him. Let me just put it that way. It is. It I is. don't like that sentence. Yeah. You know. Some people pee their pants on purpose. I chose not to. Yeah. What? Only for by the time he got back to realize that two of his friends were dead. Oh, yeah, too. It's like, I'm here, guys! It basically was like, you arrive, the episode was about you, and you get done, and it's like, oh, shit, people died. Off screen. Fuck. I mean, I guess, I guess from your perspective, it was off screen. No, he did. He, he walked back in with two boxes of pizza and said, all right, I'm ready to party, and he just goes, oh, God, everything's on fire. What's going Keith, on? Ironically, Keith was on fire. He was. The dying is the only reason you came back because we yelled at you because our friends were dying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I, I believe the exact line was Arnon Devian's dead. You need to get out here now. Yeah, that was it. <laughs> <laughs> and a year ago, I would have been like, meh. But by then, you know, we'd all, we'd all grown a little bit. It's, I didn't. You'd softened a little. <laughs> Oh man. Um, so I, I think just kind of, um, I'm going to quickly kind of go over some of my favorite moments for each of you guys. Um, just cause I, I think this is a good opportunity for me to kind of mention. Um, and for Dustin's sake, I'm just going to pick one character, like one moment of across both the characters that he played. Cause I don't want to spend too much time on this. Um, so, uh, in no particular order, um, I think one of my favorite moments for you, Andrew, um, was, uh, definitely post, um, elder Ublex death where you're kind of like picking up the pieces of like what happened to Corduroy and your ex-wife and you find your ex-wife's journal and you choose not to read it. Um, that's to this day, like one of my favorite RP moments from you. And I, I really, really enjoyed that. Um, oh yeah. Also, I, that, that kind of reminds me of one other little tidbit that I always thought was hilarious when I, uh, after, uh, after we sent them off to that other, uh, that other city in um, in my home country, like after the civil war happens, so I sent like, the remaining band members and the, like the manager, like off to the other city with Constance, so they'd be safe. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah, Nettle I went Bay. through. Uh, yeah, and I yeah, Nettle Bay. That's what it was. And I I went through uh, like my manager's office. You said like there was like a drawer that was locked, and you it was like very sentimental. You're like he has a, a ticket to like uh there were, you're like there's you know a pouch with uh, some some uh, platinum pieces, and he has a ticket to your first performance ever. Like, and that was sentimental, it was sweet, and I was like. Oh, that's cool. And then I was just like, all right, you know, I, I bask in that for a second. Then I closed the, uh, 
the drawer and we're like, okay, you're not going to take the money. I'm like, no, I'm not going to rob my manager. <laughs> so funny story about that. Dustin immediately messages me after and is like, I'm stealing the money. <laughs> I didn't steal the money. Oh, you're such a dick. <laughs> you fucking great. <laughs> so what, 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 you're, you're breaking DM player confidentiality here, but okay. <laughs> it doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> oh, that NDA just expired. <laughs> I, I'm, I, I changed the deal. Pray, don't alter it further. <laughs> if this ends with me riding a unicycle in a tutu, I'm going to be very upset. <laughs> Only if you want to, Dustin. No, I don't want to. Don't what if I want him to? I mean, you're a co-host. You can alter the deal too, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what happens if one of us wants it and the other doesn't? Is that like when mom and dad fight? Please don't fight. You guys have to. I don't, uh, like I don't want to choose. Which one of you is getting us a puppy? Which one of you is getting us a brand new bicycle? I'm not getting you shit. You can go with Owen. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Lord of well, I guess Marvin wants to pay child support. No problem. <laughs> uh, um, I think, Nick, one of my favorite moments for your character is probably the big reveal, the big twist, that uh, that Charles was your brother. That was one of my favorite moments, um, like kind of in the campaign, your reaction to that. Definite highlight for me. Um, as far as things that you initiated, though, rather than things that were happening to you, um, I think the the ending of the campaign, in my opinion, was was a lot of fun you know, kind of resting control of the, the, the mana of Dega to, to turn yourself into a, into a, 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 a tree mech, basically. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I didn't know I needed something so badly until I'd had it. <laughs> um, definite highlight for me. Um, Dustin, I think um, similarly for you, I think one of my favorites was probably one of those quiet moments um, when Devian found out that his mother was dead. That was uh, was really enjoyable. <laughs> um, you know, obviously it was a sad moment for your character, but um, definitely that was a lot of fun. Um, I also quite enjoyed the like the confrontation with your father, and you know, in the end, um, it wasn't exactly to plan, but I kind of liked how things just kind of, you know, just kind of went to shit really quickly. <laughs> it was a yeah, lot of fun. It, it, it was my Phoenix Wright moment, and it it would be what happen it happens in a Phoenix Wright game if they all had weapons. So, <laughs> you know, they would, they would all tie, they'd all draw draw weapons and attack each other if they if it was you know medieval. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was that was definitely up there. I'd say, you know, for Dremus too, I actually really enjoyed your escape from from Dresnar's um, lair. That, that was actually another uh, moment that I really, really enjoyed um, from your character. Because as much as we like to rag on you turning the bag of holding inside out, I think that, like, your escape sequence during that, you know, where you guys kind of engage in Mortal Kombat with this dragon, and basically everybody but Nick is like, no, we need to get out of here. Um, that, that was a lot of fun. Could have won. We could have beaten them. Maybe. Maybe. Could have done it. Like, we could have tried, but I, I, I think I still, I still maintain that the risk was too... Too great at the time. How many I'm characters does should exceed his reach? I'm just saying. How many character? How many NPCs do I need to kill for you to take a threat seriously, Nick? Look, they were already <laughs> dead. We lost all the NPCs. We had to accept it, and we had to, you know, just finish the finish the fight. He stepped on a named NPC. Like... <laughs> he's dead. And he stepped, his partner stepped, cared less about was... that than I did. What? No. What? The... <laughs> Me? Yeah, look, look, no, I cared in that. 
uh, I don't think my partner would have wanted us all to die and to get the hell out. Fair enough. That's probably so, true. Yeah. Probably. <laughs> Yeah, that was another one of those moments, too, where it's like, I feel like because you were kind of, like, playing a bit character that it was hard for you to, like, engage what would have, like, I think, like, if you had taken, like, the Dremis from the last, like, ten sessions or whatever and transplanted him to that moment again, I think you would have played it very differently, it feels like. Probably, yeah, because, like, again, my the whole thing with Dremis was, when I made him, was, like, I really want to do the Shadowblade build, it's awesome, like, and I want to play a halfling because I like the feats and the, the racial mechanics and everything. But, like, as far as his character goes, he didn't really have a story. And that was that was my problem with role-playing him, is that, like, his story was he, hate chance, he hates chance and that he worked for the, the, the Shipwrights Guild. And that was basically it. He was assigned to go with the party. And, like, you know, so I just basically kind of played him as a meme for a long time and it you know i i regret doing that uh for so long with him i really think i really wish i had decided sooner that wait no i actually want to play dramas the whole the rest of the campaign because if i had i probably would have played those the the sequences on dega um quite a bit differently uh just in terms of you know kind of how he acted and like his um I don't know his sense of decorum and like all that sort of things that he didn't really have um, mm. up and up until later in the campaign. Uh, so you know, lessons lessons were learned for sure, but it was still fun. I mean, I still I still had fun playing Dremis, and like there were situations that like I did genuinely role play him, and then there were situations where I was just fucking around. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah. if if that isn't just D and D on a you know on a sunday oh for sure i mean like it's it is true like there are situations where you are just fucking around there's situations where you're seriously role-playing but like i I think the split would have been a little bit more even if i had been playing him seriously whereas like i was doing maybe 90 10 up until later in the uh campaign in favor of fucking around and seeing what sort of chaos i could cause Mm -hmm. so yeah would you say you were fucking around and finding out? Oh, I definitely found out several times. Several times. <laughs> several times. So. so, so critique from you guys then. Um, so, how do you how do you feel about my DMing style? Do you feel like it's too punishing? Do you would you prefer less of an emphasis on combat? You know, more of an emphasis on combat. Like, you know, how is the story? Like, you know, I, I'm ready for some critique. Let's get some get some uh, candid stuff in here. I, I personally, I mean, I also don't really have anything to, to compare it to either. But yeah, I personally don't have a whole lot to critique with. I mean, yeah, there <clears throat> there definitely were times where it, it seemed like you had every intention of just trying to kill all of us. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, I, I personally uh, didn't really have too many issues. Mm. I guess it's the... always the... Um... That's always the the trick as a DM, right? Is uh, you you want the players to think that you have it out for them, but really, I like I've been on your side the whole time. I don't want to kill any of you guys. I really don't. But I like making the illusion that things are significantly more dangerous than they actually are. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, the one well, critique you... I would have. Oh, sorry, Andrew, you were saying. Oh no, no, no. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, you're good. The one critique I would have, and I think I talked about this during my uh, episode, was. 
it kind of at a point became uh, Majora's Mask, where the moon was coming down, we had a timetable, and there was no slowing that shit down. Like, there was never like a moment where we could know that we're going to take a few days or a few weeks and just stick around in a specific area and just like soak it all in. We were always on the move, on the move, on the move, go to this place, get this job done, go to this place, get that thing done. And it was basically like, we're going to be doing this until we get to the end. And then that's it, which I don't think that's a critique of your specific style so much as like where the story was and what it required of us. And mm-hmm. that was the only like nitpick I would have about the campaign. Otherwise it was great. I loved it. I just, I, at some points I really wish that like we could have had like a part in the, the campaign where there was not that ticking time bomb of like, we got to stop this before this thing occurs. And there's no way to like slow it down or to require more time. We always were just like on a mad dash to get it done. Mm-hmm. Um, can I ask a question about that, Nick? Mm-hmm. So, what would you like when you say we didn't have time to stop and like take things in? What would you have preferred? Like when you say that, what do you mean by taking you know time to stop and take things in? Like, did you want an episode where Arden eats five breakfasts? Like, what 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 what, what did you want? breakfast but maybe like an 11 z's but what i my main thing with that is just like we got caught off by dega being wiped out because we didn't understand the timetable thing and you wait, know wait, maybe, hang on hang on you didn't understand there was a time difference i was about to take version. blame for part of that that's fine me. go ahead <laughs> i'm just saying once that happened it kind of kicked it up to 11 where it was like okay we have got to stop this timetable because there's no getting off this train not like it was like a train to like the story beats, but like to the end of like the moment, like where it all gets finally stopped. Mm. It felt like there was always that mad dash to stop it. And by soak it in, I mean like, you know, maybe spend some time on this plane, you know, explore a little more, take up some side quests, like do a little bit more digging instead of feeling like there was like a, you have got to stop this big bad because there's literally a time on the uh, timer on the board and it's, it's beaten down. Okay. I mean, Part of that is just that we didn't know how long the timer was once we uh, found out Dago was gone. So we kind of just didn't have any opportunity to be like, okay, we have exactly this long. We can spend this much time. Yeah, I think that's also what you want from the end of a campaign, like the the last bit. Yeah, it added tension, I think. You you want a lot of things to be happening that we can't really stop and worry about. We just kind of have to go. Yeah. Because it's like the end of the campaign. Yeah. I kind of think we had plenty of chances to stop and smell the roses, so to speak, in the early to mid parts of the campaign. There were lots of side quests and lots of side episodes that were like not directly related to anything or like or for example um you know the quest to get debian back like that wasn't related to charles or the end game at all that was we have we have to get debian back because he's going to die like that had a ticking clock on it too so it's like we had a series of ticking clocks that we didn't have i think the the only thing i would say that that maybe owen you could take into account into account is like Maybe being a little bit more forthcoming with the players as to like how long certain things might take, so they have an idea of if they do want to slow down for a particular beat or something, they can. 
Mm -hmm. Uh, There, I knew, Marvin knew from what was happening exactly how long we had to do everything. Sure. Uh, Gris was never told in character that we had a time limit to stop Dega from being imploded. Otherwise, he would have been like, oh, we don't have time to stop ever. Right. Because we we rested one time too many, and that's why we didn't make it. Pretty much, yeah. And, and like, Dremis didn't realize that there was a time, like, he thought the time thing was being, being tracked, basically. I mean, um, the differential Dustin, was Dustin being tracked also, by me, yeah, and the Dustin, limit was being tracked by Arnon. Exactly. But we weren't both tracking the other one's thing. Correct. Yeah, and yeah, and it wasn't put together until we found out Dega was gone. This is the problem with agencies not sharing information. I agree. I agree. Uh, so it's your fault. Yeah. So I'll so I'll try and take something. Did, Charles did nothing wrong. <laughs> so uh, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I will try and take something constructive from that. I think I could have worked in better opportunities to more clearly communicate some of that information. I mean, I did explicitly mm-hmm. tell you guys meet me in X number of days time um, at you know position B or whatever. Um, right. But a hint that maybe we weren't. Um, we forgot about the time zones. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Like it, just a hint somewhere that it's like. You know, time doesn't move the same way on every plane. Like that wasn't. He explicitly told us that. I did explicitly explain that. He used the words "time does not change the same way on every plane" and gave us a means to track it. That's true. (laughs) Which I was doing, but I didn't know we had a time limit. I got a whole spreadsheet, guys. Um, (laughs) so like, here's the thing, right? I did provide these tools for you. I think I could have used um. I could have done a better job kind of reinforcing that these are things that were important, if not in the game directly, perhaps during the recaps, um, yeah. you know, between sessions. Now, you know, because that's the thing, is like, even if I give you guys the tools, if I don't make it clear that, like, there are high stakes here, then, like, part of that is on me. Now, I will say I have an ulterior motive, because I really wanted you guys to miss the deadline, because that was way more interesting to me than whatever else I was going to have to do. Mm-hmm. Um... <laughs> And, like, yeah, it did technically extend the campaign by probably a good, like, year and a half or something. But I think that, like, that was a much more interesting plotline for me than it was, like, you guys show up and stop Charles in the end. Because part of it, too, is, like, at that time, I didn't have a lot of these plot beats written out, particularly for Nick's character, right? Mm-hmm. Like, the whole plot uh, plot twist of him being related to the main bad guy, I wouldn't have developed otherwise. You guys would have just shown up, basically. Right. You know, well, like, I wouldn't have developed it until after, I didn't develop it until after you guys left Dega initially, so by the time you got back, you would have found that out, but I wouldn't have had as much time to kind of flesh out that relationship, nor would you have had an opportunity to kind of get the information about what happened, um, you know, through your confrontations with, um, with or through your favors with Jace, for instance, um, having an opportunity to get some of that information a little bit more organically. Mm-hmm. For me... Like, I think my my constructive criticism would be maybe, and this is partially my fault, right? What what I'm about to say. Maybe, like, prompt character, like, players and characters a little bit more on their backstories and, like, provide more 
And like you did this fine, great with Arnon, but like I don't feel like Dremis really got a chance to be explored very much because Dega blew up. So like most of his backstory was on Dega. So it's like we had to kind of reinvent the wheel a little bit with the Demir stuff. But that wasn't really his backstory. That was just a guild he joined. Yeah. Do you, you know what I mean? No, uh, 100%. I mean, I will say this, is that part of that is... So, I'll take responsibility for this. I should have prompted you to commit to the character as soon as you started playing the character. Because even yeah. though you had intent at the time to return to Devian, I think because that was your initial intent, I didn't really press you to like really come up with a character. You had a bit. And that's what you did. And so the thing is, is that I didn't really feel pressured to incorporate your bit character as a proper character, because up until basically we finished rescuing Deviant, I was under the assumption you were going to return to playing Deviant again. And so yeah, I wasn't really worried about writing De- uh, Dremis's character into the story or his background in the story. It didn't matter because he wasn't going to be a permanent fixture. But once we got to, to actually rescuing Devian, you had been playing Dremis for so long that you didn't want to stop. You enjoyed the character, and it's like, all right, well now I kind of have I've kind of done a boo boo because I've kind of written myself into a corner with some of the like definitives that your character knows at that point, and mm-hmm. without retconning it seriously, I can't really like retie it back in. Um, Makes sense. Makes so kind of like if you play we, an RPG game and you kill a bunch of NPCs and it accidentally auto saves, you just basically yeah. Wait, so was there an option for Dustin to play uh, Debian again if you wanted? That was the initial intent. Um, it was this, The idea was that he would play Dremis specifically just from for that you know arc of rescuing Debian, and then once Debian was rescued, he would just take over playing Debian again. That was the whole idea. But the minute that we actually like got there, you know, I had talked to him about it kind of in the sessions leading up to the Lich fight, um, how he wanted to do it, and he had he had kind of said at the time that he just wanted to keep playing Dremis kind of indefinitely at that point. So that's when I decided to kind of take over him as an NPC. He basically foster failed it as being a PC. (laughs) (laughs) Is that what happened? No, I I mean, I, I, yeah, I took, I took Dremis in as, as a foster pet and I really, I fell in love with him and I was like, nah, I don't like him back. I'm keeping him. So that's sort of what happened. You know, can I can I ask then what do you think would have been different about the campaign had I taken Debian back over? Um, I mean, I think the major difference at that point would have been I think that Debian's involvement with with the ending plot would have been a lot more hands on. I think that's pretty mm-hmm. clear, and I think that you know, kind of, I would have allowed you to kind of interpret the events and how that would have impacted the way that you played your character. At that point, because I think that when I picked him up as an NPC, because his story was not going to kind of get any further focus, I wanted to move his character to a place where he was kind of at peace with what happened. Not happy, but at peace with it. Mm -hmm. Because I needed him to kind of be done with adventuring, more or less. Um, He took an arrow to the knee. I mean, he did. Yeah, um, except the arrow in this case is a metaphor for trauma. Um, (laughs) And uh, I mean, he got the girl. I I guess that that doesn't make it better though. Like yeah, it's nice that he did have a person, which again I kind of just made an executive decision that that was a thing that happened. But um mm-hmm. you so kind I, of that NPC is being like in love with Debian, I thought. Well, yeah, that was mm-hmm. the whole point. But at the time that the NPC was introduced during our one-on-one roleplay session that I had with Dustin, 
that wasn't like a guarantee. It was just a character to interact with at the time. Um, yeah. So oh, you had one on one thing before we, we did, yeah, we did. It was, it was the, it was pretty um, short lived. I would say. Yeah. We we didn't like finish it or anything, but like we were, um, you know, just trying to flush out what happens to Debian while, uh, while he was or on before Grixis. being captured. Yeah. Before being captured. So, yeah. So, so, that's, I think, probably one of the major changes. Um, I probably would have put a little bit more emphasis on kind of, like, following up on Albion and, like, your father's stuff on Ravnica, because I think that was mm. an interesting... Like, I think that that's also, like, an interesting aspect of the story that you could play at, where it's like, you know, now that your father's dead and you're kind of out from underneath his thumb, like, what happens now, right? Because, like, he has this whole other life that you knew nothing about, and I think it would have been interesting to kind of... And we kind of did get a little bit of it, Right, kind of discovering more about this character, kind of yeah. as the story went on. But I think it just meant less to you because at the time it was kind of no longer your character's father, right? Um, right. So while it was interesting to find out about these different complexities to this bad guy, and you know, finding in some respects that he wasn't necessarily as bad as maybe at first blush, or that he had at least multiple, fa- you know, he was multifaceted. I, I think that because he was no longer linked to your character, it was just kind of less important. So I think had we had an opportunity to, for you to continue to play Devian, that would have continued to be like kind of a more major focus. And I probably would have written the story beats in a way to where maybe more of the things that he left behind would have played more heavily into the information that you had gathered um, in defeating Charles, I think. That makes sense. Yeah. I think, I think that that makes a lot of sense. The only other thing I, like we'll say in terms of critique i mean you mentioned it on the on the podcast but like there were points then you in i've talked to you about this in private like there were points where you struggled with the writing and how to convey certain information and like the stories kind of like stalled a little bit like that was those were points where i was like well what's happening as a player and like i didn't really like that those are the points where i'm like is the game going to keep going and then Marvin joined, and then it, it fixed itself. But that that was the only point where I was like confused as to like where where the story was going. Yeah, I mean, and to be fair, like that was only two sessions. <laughs> okay. It was, um, but like it's, it, but it sticks in my head. Like that's mm-hmm. like as a point where I was like confused. <laughs> so I bring it up a lot because like that's like, I have very few. It was a low point for you. It was a low point in the campaign. That's it. So. Yeah, I think too, right? Because it was kind of a weird, it was kind of an awkward place. Um, because basically, like up until that point, you guys were kind of like going, 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 and this was like the first time that like you had a broad goal, but like no direction on how to get there necessarily. So you finally had an opportunity to kind of like explore, and you guys really hadn't done that before, you know, not properly. So I think part of it was that as a party and perhaps as players, you didn't really have a lot of experience as to like how to go about doing some of those things. Um, And also too, like I didn't really have a clear idea on how to communicate some of the information that I need you guys to get at the time. And it wasn't until I had talked to Marvin about joining that he had mentioned that he wanted to play an Izzet character. And I was confronted with the challenge of introducing a character from Ravnica on the plane of Kamigawa (laughs) without making him a planeswalker right away. Um, yeah. 
And yeah. that, that makes a lot of sense. Like, and it's sort of, like I said earlier in the episode, it, it sort of gave the, it gave us a direction to go, more or less a safe harbor to go to that we were able to then establish as a more of a home base than, than I think we had at the time. Yeah, well, um, keep in mind that, like, getting to Ravnica was kind of Marvin's, like, was kind of Gris's like, core thing. But the function that Gris served in the story wasn't just providing a safe harbor for, as Ravnica was for you guys, but it was really kind of giving you direction how to get off of Kamigawa and towards your goal of getting to Ravnica, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which, again, that wasn't even necessarily the goal. The goal was to, you know, figure out how to get to to Lara to rescue Devian, right? The only reason you even went to Ravnica is because you had a suspicion you might be able to get a magic item from Alara there, which even that didn't ultimately end up being how it panned out because you got it from somewhere else. But basically that was kind of part of the issue is that you guys were kind of going to a place hoping that things would work out. And so in some respects, from a story perspective, it kind of was warranted because you guys did just kind of make the plane jump without much of a plan. And there really wasn't a way to get a better plan other than just like, let's just find like a big city and hope that things work out. You know, and as it happens, you guys didn't really have much as far as like travel options were concerned. Um, I could have like, as a DM dropped you closer to a large city. That's certainly true. Um, And then had you guys do that, I could have written it a little bit differently, I think to make it a little bit easier on you guys. Um, Maybe a little, maybe, maybe like a little tighter too, like plot wise, but that's like, you know, you're still you were trying to figure it out. So, like, I, I get it. I yeah, I'm like, I'm running like week to week too, and I'm not. I'm somebody who I had a, spent a lot of time kind of considering the like the course of events right after you guys hit Kamigawa, and kind of figuring out like how the story beats will go for like rescuing Devian. That it took me a it took me a, a week or so to kind of parse out how I wanted things to go, like how I um like what information I need to get to you guys and how to communicate that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of my challenge is that like, I don't think I really gave myself enough time to do that properly. And, you know, sometimes when you're writing as a DM, like sometimes you just don't really have the inspiration. Right. And it, I, it takes something to kind of respark that. Yeah, for sure. As a new DM, I can, I can sympathize with that. Um, like myself, just in my own campaign, like I, you know, I won't get too into it because you're playing in it, but, you know, it's just like, I have this temptation to overplot things, and then, like, I need to know exactly where I need to pull back to allow for player choice to affect things. So it's like, I have a lot of branching forks in what I've written that could happen. I don't know. So... We'll see how that rolls out. Yeah, and like but, that's just very different than the way that I write stories, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like the way yeah. that I, I write my stories is like I have beats that I aspire to, and that's basically how I do it. I don't really I'm comfortable enough kind of making you know split decisions during the game that I'm okay to improvise because the way that I tend to to write is just that I kind of I write the characters, not necessarily the actions, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, makes sense. So, you know, in those instances, I think about like, okay, what kind of person is Charles? What kind of person is John? You know, what kind of person is this cat dragon that you're interacting with, right? Mm-hmm. 
And that way, kind of, whenever the the roleplay starts, no matter kind of which way you guys go, I kind of have an idea on, like, what this character wants and what they want you guys to do for them. So I don't really consider plots in the way of, like, oh, they could do this or they could do this or they could do this. I do, like, somewhat in the broad sense of things, but I'm more so focusing on kind of, like, what are the, like, the story beats that I want you guys to hit and how do I get you guys there? Not necessarily the path. Like, I don't plan the path, really. I just kind of say, like, okay, here's where you guys, you know, what would want to go or should want to go. And I leave it to you guys to kind of figure out how to get there. And if you Mm -hmm. skip around, if you do something else, like, those things are generally okay. I'll try and work another way for you guys to get the info. Right. Makes sense. We spent a long time on that question, so (laughs) go ahead. Yeah. Jump off uh, me for a minute. <laughs> yeah. So I guess one last thing, and this is kind of more so for I think Nick and Andrew, but I'm kind of curious what your impression of Charles is as a bad guy and as a character. Um, if you feel like his character's been consistent, um, if you feel like things fit together, you know, if you like the bad guy, things like that. Because um, obviously, you know, you guys are the two who interacted with him from the initial encounter. Um, I guess Dustin, you you as well. Um, met him during the initial encounter as well. So, kind of, what is your impression of the bad guy? Do you think I did a good job of keeping his character consistent? Yeah, I, de- I definitely think so. I mean, I I think I was one that said after our first encounter, I was like, this guy's a fucking phony. Like, uh, because <laughs> because it wasn't, like, apparent until, like, halfway through the campaign or something that he he was the bad guy, or even, like, more than halfway, like, he was just this guy that had us doing things for him that was that seemed off, but I knew he seemed off right from the get go. But yeah, you were definitely consistent with him. I mean, yeah, he 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 stayed the same. He stayed the same with his like ideals. He never uh, like he he was he was always just Charles. Like, and um, I, I think just what eventually changed was our perspective of him. But I don't think that. I think that Car- Charles as a character was definitely consistent the whole time. Yeah, I think uh, it actually worked out really great with uh, what it ended up being his troop backstory connection to Arnon with how he had those interactions with Arnon in the early days that looking back now really fit perfectly with like what would have been going on in Charles's head, like what his intentions were, what his like goals were. And, you know, he, uh, he just always had that same air of like confidence and he was a foodie and those things just like made it more interesting. Yeah. I don't know. I, I mean, I, I think my impression of Charles was he was very, he knew exactly how to motivate people, I think. And I think that he was almost sociopathic in that way. Um, and I don't know if that was intentional or not, but that was like the sort of, um, you know, impression I got was that he was playing a chess game. And like that we were the pawns in his chess game and he was moving, moving us around the board and putting uh, circumstances uh, exactly as he needed them to be to succeed. Um, And he knew what our actions were going to be before we did them, whether, whether we follow what he wanted us to do or not, he was able to predict them and be one or two steps ahead of us. Um, the only thing I would say about Charles is that I kind of wish 
like after Dega exploded, we didn't need him. I feel like not him showing up directly, but him showing up in some other way, like an astral projection or something to like either taunt us or like, um, you know, uh, kind of just interact with the party in some way would have been cool. Um, oh, yeah. To jump off of your point real quick, Dustin, I, I think I would say he, he was a bit too passive about stopping us from stopping him. Yeah, I agree. I, I think he should have messed with our plans a little bit more. He should have sent his regards at least once. Yeah. Something. Like, whether, like, he, you know, possessed somebody on another plane and attacked us using that body, or, uh, you know, had more um, just, like, hired help in some way that he directly was involved with and wasn't just, oh, he put mind control on this party and left them to deal with you. Rather, like, you know, I don't know. Like a more There's persistent threat? A more persistent threat. Yeah, he he became the boogeyman at the end, and I'm like, I'm not sure that that was chance. Like, was we, a lot more active we were ch- we, exactly. I agree. Chance chance was was much more of a uh, mustache twirling sort of uh, villain, whereas he would like pop up from time to time and taunt us, and like be like, "Haha, you'll never defeat yeah. me." Yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. yeah. He he would arch us a little bit, uh, mm-hmm. to use Venture Brothers terms, uh, versus uh, Charles, which was he was a boogeyman at the end where we were chasing a shadow, mm-hmm. um, that for the last part of the campaign, and, I, and that may have been intentional, and I think it it probably was. But we looked back at the sand, and there was two. There was only one pair of footprints, but it was actually Charles carrying us all the way to the end game. <laughs> pretty much, yeah, exactly. Uh, we we were we were chase we were following Charles's footsteps. And trying to find where he was. And like we got there and it was like he was just waiting. Right? It was very like, and that was cool, a very final boss esque, but it was like you kind of expect someone like that. I mean, I know he wanted us to find him, but I don't know. I don't know if it was like he wanted us to go on that journey to learn something for Arnon to learn something about himself. Or like what it was exactly that he um his goal was in that in not uh, Mm. confronting us directly more interesting so i think that well the obvious thing first is like uh, charles and chance i want those two characters to feel distinctive because they have a lot of similar qualities Mm -hmm. (laughs) so i I think that like chance being a lot more of a um belligerent character when it comes to your interactions i think is um something I very much wanted to do versus Charles, who was a lot a lot more subtle in the way that he interacted with the party. In fact, I would say that like the majority of your interactions with him were actually fairly positive for the players, um, I would yeah, say. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a great host. Yeah, and I think part of that was I wanted your... I wanted your relationship with Charles to be one where it was like a tenuous trusting thing, because I wanted you to ultimately feel somewhat betrayed when things went you know, when all foobar and the plane was wiped out, right? That was ultimately kind of what I wanted is I wanted that to feel a little bit more like a betrayal than like a reveal that like he was the big bad all along. I, I want it more to feel a little bit more personal than that. And I was hoping it did. Mm-hmm. So I so I think that when it comes to like the second part, as a DM, 
here's the here's the practical reason, guys, that you didn't see the main bad guy again after the big the the big kickoff to the third arc, uh, to the third major you know third beat in the campaign. You guys might have killed him. <laughs> Just straight up, like you, you, you probably would have aggressed him on sight if he was at all within range. <laughs> Ollie did say he wanted to use disintegrate, but never did. He did yeah. try once. I, I tried. I tried. Um, I think that would have. I think if that worked, it would have. It might have been the end of it in that combat. Yeah, yeah, it was close. Um, it's like that prosy D thing where he's like, I, "I didn't think that would kill him. I just jumped on him." <laughs> <laughs> um. So that was the practical reason, right? Is that like. As a DM, like I very much didn't want the the end to happen kind of too soon. Partly because like some of the abilities that I had set up for him were very definitively like eighteenth, twentieth level wizard level shit. So um I was concerned that like if I put him, you know, air quotes on screen, that you would attempt to aggress him and get into a fight that you couldn't win. You know, because like granted, like at the time I didn't have him statted. But I knew for a fact he had power word kill. So, like, that was the one thing on his sheet that was non-negotiable, because that was the one, like, spell that you knew for certain he could do. Like, from first interaction. So, that kind of puts a, like, a guaranteed, like, needs to be at level X before you guys interact with him. Um, I could have done a better job, I think, with him being a little bit more active in the defense of his plan. I think, like putting the DM hat on if I want to kind of like retroactively defend the decision that I made, which was to not have other characters. I think part of it comes down to, I don't know that Charles was cognizant that you guys were like on his trail like that for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't think he ever found out that you guys went to Jace for help. So I don't know that he ever realized how many of, of Arnon's memories he had back up until, like, pretty late when you guys were contacting him on Exandria. That's true. Um, so, part of that was that as well, is that, like, I didn't really have a good mechanism for him to, like, surveil you guys across the multiverse. And I think that that's okay sometimes, where, like, if we're chasing a character, the NPCs don't have to have perfect information all the time. And so, mm-hmm. this was kind of an opportunity, I guess, to kind of, like, get the drop on him, as it were. And you were somewhat trying to pick up information about him at, as well, kind of throughout the those, you know, campaign beats, basically. Mm-hmm. So, that's part of it. I could have had him um, maybe, like, brainwash a, uh, like, a planeswalker or something and have them come after you. But... You know, at that point, I'm also like introducing like other NPCs that will then like turn coat <laughs> at some point. So, you know, <clears throat> there was some challenges there. I would say um, I didn't want to. F- I-, I wanted to give you guys an opportunity to also kind of just like explore the multiverse, as it were, and kind of enjoy some of those different settings without like that. It, it was kind of always a thing that was looming in the background, but I didn't ever want it to feel like. I don't know, oppressive. I guess, and maybe to Nick's point, maybe that wasn't adequately communicated um because it wasn't clear what the timetable was i probably could have done a better job communicating like you know how much time you have um you know or maybe just like committing to a time frame and letting you guys figure it out from there um I send it, this random picture of a clock it's it's weird you know you just sent it with no context no no text or anything you know and when we ask you you're just like don't worry about it don't yeah worry about it. you just you just slide the hand back a, a minute what does yeah. it mean we don't we don't know yeah. Can I, uh, yeah. Can I, 
this is earlier in the campaign, but before Dega had gotten wiped out and we were supposed to meet Charles somewhere, and we never ended up, like, figuring out where to go or getting there. But he said that he would reward us. What was a reward supposed to be? Oh, so he he actually ascended to become the god of creation of Dega. Yeah, he and became uh, Rith. Yeah, he kicked out Rith and, and took his place. That was the that was the plot. That was our reward, or well, the reward is as a god of creation and war, he could do basically anything. Oh, okay. So he could give you basically whatever you wanted. Oh, okay. So the reward would have been up to us, essentially. Yeah, I mean, if you didn't stop him from kill, you know, from slaying a god, sure. <laughs> so interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, when we pick up for for the when I pick up for the second part of the campaign or my new campaign, basically, um, that's going to be colloquially referred to as kind of like the the um, kind of like the lost years of the Rith faith. Um, you know, the, the, like a trial <laughs> a trial of faith, as it were, because basically, once Charles left. The god went with him, and, you know, there wasn't a god, basically, of war and creation on Dega for several years until Rith was reborn and took that spot again. So, god is dead. Basically. Imagine being a cleric of, of somebody, and then just, like, they just disappear one day? No yeah. explanation? Imagine. Imagine being a cleric of Rith. Imagine. Who do we know like that? Just imagine. I loved using Rith's name in vain just to piss I know you did. <laughs> it was a fun. It was that was fun. one of my favorite modes for the campaign. Was just having uh, uh, Devian about Rith. Actually, it, it kind of involved me. But my favorite favorite moment between the two of us was when you told us about the sign that you got from that spell, which was a legitimate spell. But Arnon was like, "So the clouds parted, and you took that as a sign that your God is talking to you." And I just pulled out my I sword did. and let it, uh, I just dropped my sword like a fucking guiding stick. Like, oh, look, it went that way. Let's go. Can, yes. I, can I just tell you how much I hated you in that moment? <laughs> I, like, I legitimately <laughs> wanted to throttle you. I was like, bro. It was so rude. <laughs> I wasn't trying to like, be an asshole. Like, I wasn't trying to be like a PC, like a person asshole. I was trying to be a, like a character asshole because you're you've been just giving out a shit so long. That he was like, "I'm gonna give you the I business." Know. I listen. I, I understand why you did it. It that doesn't mean that in the moment I wasn't furious. <laughs> <laughs> of course, you understand. I'm furious. Yeah, exactly. I feel like you're still a little mad. <laughs> a little bit. Like bringing it back up. Man, it, it, Still stings a little. On the <laughs> I can, I can yeah. relate. After I was so nice earlier in the episode, you can bring this up. I mean, to be fair, we we buried the hatchet on that. It's just, it's it's just one of my favorite moments. I mean, you got. I mean, you gave me shit when I pulled off that great uh, caper in the uh, bar, trying to unionize the the uh, the proletariat. That was hilarious and very out of character. <laughs> it was. It was really out of character. It was. But it was very funny. Um, it was funny. I, I like to imagine that, like you know, whenever we pick back up in campaign two, that the that those dock workers have unionized. <laughs> Why is Grandpa Runch on fire again? <laughs> Jesus, oh, God. I'm gonna cut that. Um, oh, I guess <laughs> uh, you have to cut it again. But all he gets back, and he just gets kicked out of the sea again. <laughs> he gets sent to a farm. <laughs> Shit, Ollie, you can't catch a break. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. Rip Ollie.
pretty much. Bali lives forever. <laughs> I mean, that is one thing to talk about, right? So one thing I, I did want to kind of ask about is like, obviously we touched on the epilogue during the campaign itself. Um, and eventually one day we will get to kind of get to it. Cause you know, we talked a little bit about it during the campaign, but you know, with the Phyrexian menace kind of drifting off in the, in the multiverse, that is something that we could pick up on as kind of like a bigger bad um, to take advantage of. That is actually what I figure Arnon's next vengeance path was going to be. He realizes that that has to be like his, uh, his swan song. If he's still alive after everything else, cause he was originally planning on dying when uh, he said everything right. But you know, Debbie and brought him back. So he's got more fish to fry elsewhere. He just can't planeswalk anymore. Devian brought him back as one final F you. <laughs> hey, Arnon, you remember that time you mocked my god? Well, feel his love now! <laughs> uh, no, daddy, no. <laughs> Pretty much. Not the belt. Please don't do that again. Not the belt. Please. I can't make him give him the stick. I like to imagine that Arnon just heard Devian whispering, do you still think my god's bullshit now? No, he I... He brings Arnon back from the sweet release of death. I like to imagine it's just him saying, I'm daddy cool. <laughs> no. Oh, no. What's, Why? I don't know that reference. Oh, and please oh, don't. no. <laughs> What's that reference? Oh, I'm leaving that bit in. <laughs> Why? That's why? That's a good old classic. That's why. Oh, my goodness. Uh... Daddy cool. What what is that? Daddy cool. Daddy cool. Okay. I'll I'll tell it's you. Funny. I'll, I'll tell you later. It's funny for the time being. Uh, for the time being, that Oliver just has a wish spell and is and not doing anything with it. Like he just has all the he has true resurrection. Like there's just all these insane feats, and he's just. Uh, I'm retired. I'm not doing. He's basically anymore. the Jesus of his realm, and he's just like <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go enjoy my retirement. <laughs> Uh, with great power comes the ability if to you lost my your ass arm, you would you would go and retire too. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it, it brings me a lot of joy knowing that Ollie gets his happy ending. <laughs> he does. He's very happy. Yeah, yeah he is, deserves he's, to have one. He's quite Debian happy. Yeah. Got a, Debian got a happy ending. Uh, do you think so? Do you I think mean, Debian's ish. happy? I think he is. It, you know, he's okay. Like this brings now us to, like, the existential questions. Was Devian ever happy? Like, is he capable of happiness? <laughs> wow, really? <laughs> I, I, that's I, I would like to think so, but I I don't know. I think Griff is definitely happy. I no. mean, his his faith has definitely been challenged. He didn't think there was a multiverse out there. Um, you know, he he's like, oh, I can pull. My my power from somewhere other than Rift, like what you you know, there's all that, but I I think that he, you know, he's somewhat found peace with what what has happened to him, and that he has a job that he likes, and you know, his home life is nice. So like he he's he you know things in his past could have been better, but he's you know not um, he's doing okay. He's doing okay, aside from the, the squid dreams now, I guess. The squid I'll dreams, that's you... Dremus, not Devian. That's Dremus. I'll it definitely is... give you a uh, an example right. of uh, of Devian reaching uh, peak happiness, which was the time that Chance hired uh, those big fucking bullies to beat me and Arnon up. That was, and, dude. And Devian was just off to the kiss. side. 
Chef's kiss. Mm-hmm. Also, I loved I, it. I like how so like Chance was like, "Oh, Devian, you haven't wronged me, so you're not part of this." But I also like like how it might. It didn't even seem like it occurred to Chance that like maybe Devian wouldn't be cool just seeing his friends getting their ass beat by like Chance's people, but. Obviously, he was. But he was. Just... He was a good read of people. He, he knew that <laughs> you know Debbie and, and Arnon didn't get along. And Debbie and I sent you also a smug piece of shit. I'm gonna I'm gonna beat up your friends now because I'm a smug piece of shit. You cool? You cool? You just Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> Debbie was not a smug piece of shit. He was. He was so smug in that moment. Smug. The smugness burned off of him in, like a in that burn. moment. Yes, it was. It was just desserts in his opinion. He was just like. You guys wronged this guy. I told you not to mess with them. What happens, happens. I mean, in their defense, I did roleplay him as, like, literally, like, the biggest POS. Like, well, you did. I agree. And, he, like, was was, he was a crybaby. He was a crybaby. He was also got the feeling, like, maybe we shouldn't mess with this guy. I don't he know. was the Karen of the game. He was a Karen. Say. He was. He turned out to be a very power, powerful and influential Karen, but he was he was. Karen. Yeah, he caused the police and the... That they come... The worst kind of Karen, the one with connections. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Um, so we're kind of running up on time here. So I do want to kind of draw this to a close as much fun as I've had uh, running this. Um, so any closing thoughts on the campaign, um, everybody, before we kind of put this chapter to a close and, uh, you know, set our sights on the, what comes next. R.I.P. Oscar. Oh, Oscar. No, Oscar's alive. Oh, he's alive? I thought he died. I think Tungarth was the one that was uh, potentially dead, but we never really confirmed one way or the other. You told us he was in the dungeons. Yeah, I think I decided that he had been just captured and thrown in the dungeons. Uh, all right, well, R.I.P. Tungarth, if so. Also, <laughs> um, what was his name? Uh, uh, da, 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 the guy that was like that led us to Charles, essentially in the end, uh, the lunatic. I loved that guy. Oh, Nick's Why other character. Say- Oh no! You're, no. You're, no. Bandor, oh, Bandor. Bandor. <laughs> yeah. Bandor is pretty great. I I liked Bandor a lot. Bandor's out there yeah. living his best life. Bandor <laughs> was problematic. Bandor took a lot of our money. Or <laughs> all his money specifically. Of everything he had to get Bandor on the board, and he didn't even show up at the last fight. I know. What a waste. <laughs> oh man. What a waste. What a guy. Uh, Wait, who who made more money off of us, Bandor or uh, or Josh Joshua? Bandor, Bandor. Uh, Bandor. Like, no, definitely. Like definitely Josh, we, we we tipped a lot to Josh. Like, don't get me wrong, but like, you know, like we may have ups- we definitely upset the economy in that area. Inflation just went through the roof. Relative like, to the amount of money those two had probably seen in their lifetimes, Josh probably got the sweeter deal because he was but like, I'd never see this much gold if I lived to a hundred. Oh, Band- I don't think Bandor had ever seen that much gold either. We gave him, like, how much platinum? Like, Jesus Christ. gave him Christ. a lot of fucking platinum, dude. He did. Yeah. I, think, I think he was paid in excess of, like, 5,000 gold pieces by the time it was all said and done. <laughs> what, a, what a quest for him to get. He's just like, wow, I was just hanging out. Now I got 5,000 gold. He also was raking you over the coals. Like, I, I did not think you guys would just agree to most of those prices. <laughs> It was just like it's just money. Who gives a shit? No, no. I, well, if that, yeah, that, that's it. Just exposes a problem with five E's in that we just had so much money that we didn't know what to do with it. Oh, well, we that's just didn't not have anything to do with it. In, well, that's not a problem with five E. That's a problem with how I was giving out rewards. <laughs> it's both, but I, yeah, there's I not, really don't think so. Like, I there's think, not there's not much in the in the book itself 
for to players to spend gold on. But yeah, I they they give you ways to spend leisure time. It was a great game, Owen. Really, truly amazing. Great, great time was had by all. Great friends have been made from this, and great memories. And I look forward to the next one. Uh, the only thing uh, that I'm a little bit sad about now is just that you know it's over for now. Yeah, for now. Yeah, I'll echo that. Um, I'm sad that it's it's stopped for now, but um, looking forward to whenever we pick it back up. And of course, uh, the um, so-called uh, Dragon Ball Super to uh, our, this Dragon Ball Z. It's it's uh, it's gonna be great. Or GT I don't like rather. That sentence. Yeah. Well, the, yeah. Whatever. We're not gonna GT it, okay? Uh, I mean, we are kind of GTing it, but it's it's okay. Don't worry about it. Um, Real talk. I'd rather GT it than Super it. <laughs> I've never. I haven't watched. You didn't like Super, before. really? I liked the last maybe three episodes of Super and maybe five in the middle somewhere. Okay, that's fair. What about the manga? You like the manga? Uh, I like the manga after the Tournament of Power for the most part, so that's far fair. at least. That's fair. All right. Anyway, that's off topic. We can talk about that later. <laughs> um, but as far as my my closing thoughts on the campaign. Um, I'm sad that it's over. Obviously, it's been a highlight of my week for as long as I've been playing. Uh, it's like literally the thing I look forward to every week is playing D and D with you guys. Y'all have been a great party, Andrew. I think you picked up D and D like really fast, and like you started role playing really well. And I like I really enjoyed playing with you, Nick. We we butted we butted heads. You know, I thought you were an asshole for most of it, but hey, it's fine. Like every, every table needs one, and you are a good one. And uh, yeah, and uh, Marvin, you 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 were a trooper. You came in and you helped give us um, some direction on the focal point and someone good and experienced to role play with. You were and, the Ashton Kutcher when we needed you. Sure, we'll we'll go with that. Uh, <laughs> and I I think that uh, you uh, were a pleasure to play with, and. Um, I'm sad that we won't be playing together in this new campaign. Uh, maybe. Same with maybe, and same with you, Andrew. So, yeah, um, no, you, you guys as well. It's, it really, it really has been a pleasure. I'm, I'm very, very sad this has come to an end. But I, uh, I'm definitely going to lean heavy on the open-ended aspect. That some point uh, we'll, we'll pick this up uh, down the road. Um, I think that we would all like that very much when. When it's convenient and the time's right. No one's ever really gone. That's right. Yeah. That's right. For sure. I think it's a good way to close it out. Yeah. Cue the Titanic uh, quartet. <laughs> exactly. Gentlemen, it's been a pleasure playing with you this evening. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow, I'll even So, one, one last time with feeling. Yeah, right. <laughs> when, we, when we last left our band of intrepid adventurers, they were on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> wait that's not your line i know but i wanted to say it <laughs> just once <laughs> I'll, I'll let you get away with it this time cool <laughs> marvin any closing thoughts it has been a pleasure my friends thank you for inviting me into this game and it was fun except nick <laughs> uh, <laughs> miss you too buddy well that's my mama. Jeez. I, I think for me... What happens? 
I think for me, I'll I'll, uh, I'll kind of close out my thoughts on Intrepid Adventures and just say that uh, I, I'm thankful to a lot of you for helping me tell a uh, what I I think is a, is a really fun and a really fun story and will remain probably a highlight of my D and D DMing career for in perpetuity, basically. Um, I hope one day we get a chance to return to these characters, but I'm quite satisfied if we don't, because um, I, I think that being able to DM any long-term campaign to completion is a uh, is something to be celebrated for sure, and it's something that I, I hope I'll get a chance to do again, and uh, you know, hopefully we'll get an opportunity to play with these uh, with these uh, lovable idiots another time. I love it, and thank you uh, for doing such a great job, Owen. Yeah, for all my uh, my nitpicks when I was giving you critique, I, I really did enjoy the campaign. So, oh, I think I'm owed it by you, Dustin. I we did like a whole episode where I was doing nothing but just kind of <laughs> giving you a hard time. I so I think I and think I, I deserve listen, it. I, I, listen, I listen. I I I will I will acknowledge something that you you said in your your previous episode or like the I, I don't know when, whenever it two episodes ago now whenever it mm-hmm. premiered anyway. Two episodes ago, when you were you acknowledged that you are having fun in my game, so I, I appreciated the uh, the shout out. So it's uh, much much appreciated. <laughs> <laughs> I just ask Owen. I beat myself up for like a week after listening to that episode, and like there's all those critiques. I'm like, damn, I suck. That's <laughs> <laughs> how we you all know, feel. Trust uh, me. You just needed some some constructive criticism. Imposter yeah. syndrome is a real thing. Oh yeah. Oh. I didn't have it until you said that. <laughs> uh, something that you have in common with Charles, then. You see, you're both big oh, phonies. No. Oh, God. <laughs> Charles and me and Holden Caulfield were all just phonies. <laughs> Look at this guy, the big phony. Big fat phony. Jeez. All right. Well, I'm gonna, before this gets out of hand, um, I'm going to call it too here. late. So, um, thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Um, as always, you can catch our new episodes weekly. I'm not going to commit to a date anymore because I keep missing it. So, we're going to catch a new episode every week. <laughs> Whenever it comes out, it comes out. Um, you can catch us on Twitter at TIAFA Podcast, likewise on Instagram and basically every other major social media site. Um, you can catch me at Vlad Viver. Marvin is at Tayugetsu. Um, Andrew. Your Twitter handle is Andrew Martinez with two E's and Andrew. Gotcha. Um, Justin, do you want to shout out your uh, your media handle? Sure. I don't use it much anymore. So I'm uh, I'm in PR now and I have a muzzle on all the time. But uh, my Twitter handle is Get Steinard on Twitter. Very good. Nick, do you have any social presence you want to shout out, or do you prefer to remain anonymous? I don't have one. I don't need one. <laughs> I think that means that you're the best man of us. (laughs) All right, everybody. Well, uh, again, uh, thank you so much. um, You know, everybody for, for joining us both for today's, you know, decompression podcast, as well as the campaign as a whole, it's been a wonderful, you know, four to five years. And I'm looking forward to another group of those at some point. Um, I love you all. And uh, you know, have a good one, everybody. Bye. Peace. Stay classy.